Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. As you've already been told, you can open your Bibles to James chapter 3. Uh, my name is Chuck, um, <clears throat> one of the pastors that gets to serve here at Summit Church. It is good to be with you. It is good to sing the name of Jesus. I love doing that. I love singing the name of Jesus with you. Um, that song, I think, very appropriate for what it is that we need this morning, um, especially in this passage that we're going to tackle today. We need Jesus. We need His power. We need His Spirit to work in us and through us. Um, and so I was uh, just appreciate that we've, we sang that song this morning. I also love sharing God's Word with you. I'm sure you've probably picked that up. God's Word is a feast. It just absolutely is, and it's so fun to be a part of this uh, with you. So uh, James chapter 3 is where we're going to be, the first 12 verses. Um, some of you, no doubt, are excited as we jump back into um, our series in James. Others, maybe not so much. You ready to take a break from James? We did. We took a break. We're back in it. Um, perhaps maybe you've uh, recently joined us, and so you don't know what we're talking about. Maybe you, you came during the Christmas season, um, or maybe even last week, so you're unfamiliar a bit with our study in James. So what we've been doing is we've been taking the book of James and going through it really section by section um, to, to study what it is that God has for us very practically um, in, this, in this book. So what I think would be most helpful for us, uh, whether you're new here or maybe this, again, you're, you're coming back into this study of James, um, is that we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't hit the skip the recap button, okay? So I think it's important to reset maybe the scene a little bit, um, the context, before we dive into um, our passage in James. So you may remember that James uh, was the half-brother of Jesus, okay? So he was close with Jesus, and our best understanding of history is that James did not become a Christian, um, meaning he was not convinced. He did not come to believe that his brother was who he said he was until after the resurrection. That's our best understanding. But now, fully convinced that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, James quickly became an ardent advocate for the teachings of Christ, and he rose in leadership uh, within the newly established church, okay? So the good news of Jesus has gone out. Jesus has died and rose again. He's ascended into heaven, and all of who he is, that, I've, that he's come to proclaim freedom for the captives, forgiveness of sin, that news has gone out and has, has spread, has gone out from Jerusalem, and now the church, those who believe th those things, have, has grown, okay? And so due to uh, both persecution for their beliefs and also just the normal historical movements of people, the church has now been scattered abroad outside of Jerusalem. And so these people um, were new followers of Christ, and they were in need of, of encouragement. Not only because they were facing persecution, but coming from a Jewish background, most of them, they, they were confused about what was required of them now that they had come to a saving faith in Jesus. And so Christian teaching at this point was at a premium. Okay? They needed help putting their faith into action. And so the book of James is exactly that. What we're reading here in the New Testament is a letter from James to those believers offering encouragement and instruction that very closely follows Jesus' own teachings, if you'll, if you'll notice. And he's offering them guidance 
um, ways to live out their faith in order to ground them in the Word, and then, again, build up their faith. James, you'll notice through this book, speaks very plainly and practically. He emphasizes works, um, the good we ought to be doing as followers of Jesus. So if you have truly been changed, these are the things that the world should see taking place in our lives. That's what, that's what this is. And so, so far in James, um, we've covered facing trials and temptations, seeking wisdom, doing what Scripture says to do, um, not playing favorites, understanding what real faith looks like. There's been a few more topics in there as well. But overall, um, what is helpful is that James is a straight shooter, isn't he? Right? So he drops the truth, and he gives clear examples that are relatively simple to understand, but again, are almost always convicting as he does it. Okay? So he, puts, he helps put our, our theology in shoe leather, as Pastor Dan likes to say. When it comes to our faith, how we just go out and walk it out. Okay, so today is no different. Um, this is a passage that's probably familiar to many of you, James 3, 1 through 12, um, this, this talk about the tongue here. So we have many verses today, but they're all pointing to the same principle. Uh, you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to read this. We're back in the NIV today. So James chapter 3, uh, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say was perfect. They're able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who are made in, the, in, made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. God's word for us today. Can you pray with me again, Lord? Um, we have come to you this morning. We're submitting to your leading. We're submitting to your leading. Uh, we've offered to you our praise. We're asking now that by your word we would hear from you today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So, if you were here um, at the beginning of our James series, you may remember that this uh, matter of the tongue is first brought up in chapter 1, actually, in verse 26, if you would care to look that up at some point. Chapter 1, verse 26. And basically what he says, however brief, um, as an example of authentic faith, James mentions that genuine religion is demonstrated in the, in the discipline one has over his words. That's what he's saying. Okay, So your belief in God, if it is indeed real, will be worked out in every detail of your life. 
as we are now bound to him. That's what, that's what he's saying. And that includes our words. And this is the matter that's now picked back up here in chapter 3 in fuller measure in what I like to call James's treatise on the tongue, okay? Treatise on the tongue. And there's three movements basically that, that he works through here, which we're going to look at. Um, there's a caution for teachers here on the front end. Um, he talks about the power of the tongue and then really kind of works into the perversity really of the tongue. Again, all of which through all three of those movements, he's communicating one principle for us to understand uh, today. So we're going to look at the text, um, and I will warn you, as we just read it, you heard it, this is not a light passage, okay? James uses very strong language here, okay? And so there's, there's real talk here, and the point of this passage really is he's calling us to repentance. That's just, that is what the text says. It's what it's calling us to. But I think that that can be helpful for us to, to move us forward. He's pointing out something that we all know to be true, and so then he's going to call us forward out of it, okay? Verses 1 and 2, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Okay, not many of you should become teachers. rut row. Okay. Uh, if you're a teacher in any aspect, um, be it biblically or any other context, you are already feeling the weight of, like you understand this already, this caution that he adds uh, to these believers, right? If you're a teacher, you understand this. A teacher is one who is, whose whole mission is to lead those who are at some level more vulnerable than themselves. That's the whole mission of a teacher. And so that great responsibility is, is a wonderful one, but it's also a bit terrifying. And again, you know this if you are a teacher because you realize that others' growth and understanding in life depends a great amount on your own correct understanding of what is right and true. And so there's this, this caution right up front to, to teachers. Now, James is writing to the church. Again, these are new Jewish believers. Teaching was a, is an honored position, especially in Jewish culture. It was highly, it was thought of highly, uh, a, great, uh, a great seat essentially to have, and that, could, that was often abused. Um, but being a rabbi was this honored position. And so um, as they were growing, as, they were, as their understanding of Christ's teaching increased, so did their desire to then lead and teach others what they had then received. That's a good thing. The problem was they were, they were young or they were immature in their belief. They were still learning. They weren't far enough along to teach others effectively. And so what happens is that leaves the door open for worldly ideas to mix their way in with Christian doctrine. And you know that that leads to false teaching. A gospel that isn't the gospel. Okay, so James is starting here, and really it's, it's the same thing. It's very similar to what Paul writes to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's a warning of the same kind. There were, there were those who were believing Paul's writing to Timothy. He said, there are those in your midst, like as, as you go out to pastor and to lead, watch for these people. Go out and, and, and correct them because they are, they are, they are believing something. They, they think they are farther along than they are, and they're focusing on things that don't matter. They're elevating non-essentials to essentials, and they're going down rabbit trails that didn't edify the body. Okay, so, so this is what it says, 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Some have departed from these core scriptural truths that we know, and they have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. 
or what they so confidently affirm. So what Paul is doing here, he's doing what James is saying will happen. James says, we who teach will be judged more strictly. Paul is judging strictly these teachers. That's what he's doing. Not judged more strictly in the sense of harsher punishment, but rather that that teachers will have their words watched more carefully. They are held to a higher standard. Why? Because their essential instrument is the tongue, and the tongue is easily misused and can lead others astray. The tongue is easily misused and it can lead others astray. This is where James begins this passage with this talk about teachers. He's using the matter of teaching authority to show just how important this lesson on the tongue is. Okay, and so then he quickly moves to not just teachers, but everyone. This matter of the tongue controlling, it's difficult, not just for teachers, but for everyone. Look again at verse 2. We all stumble. That means all. That means everyone. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Sin is universal, is what he's saying. Not just, this doesn't mean just we all make mistakes, we all slip up, we all stumble. No, it means sin is universal. We are all in a fight against our flesh. And this matter of the tongue is one of the biggest, if perhaps the biggest, that we fight, isn't it? And so with a little bit of hyperbole in this, in this verse here, James is saying, essentially, if you can find someone in perfect control over their mouth, you found someone who is perfectly in control over their whole self. That's what he's saying. James is not meant to shut down any hope of conquering the evil tongue. Rather, he's just driving home caution by revealing just how dangerous the tongue can be. You know this. The tongue needs to be controlled, is what he's saying. The tongue needs to be controlled. Brother has disowned brother over matters of the tongue. Daughters have lost mothers over matters of the tongue. Nation has risen against nation over matters of the tongue. This is a big deal. And so the next, the next part of our passage here, verses 3 through 5, over these verses... James now gives several different examples of something mighty being controlled by something small, okay? Disproportionately small compared to the rest of it. I like to call this section bits, boasts, rudders, and sparks, okay? I thought that had a nice ring to it. Maybe it'll be the title of a book someday. So bits, boasts, rudders, and sparks. So that first example, let's look at that, uh, that of a horse. Have you ever seen a horse? They're ginormous. They're huge. They're, they're magnificent creatures. So my, my family, we love going to the, the Berrien County Fair. I grew up going to the Elkhart County Fair. I love the horse barn. It's my favorite place to go. Um, my favorite are the draft horses. The draft, we're talking working horses here, okay? Clydesdales, shires, shire horses. These things are huge. They're typically like 18 to 20 hands tall. Now, if you're like me, you don't actually know what that means. <laughs> I just know they're tall. They're big. But I looked it up for you. It's, a hand is about four inches, okay? It's about four inches. So 18 to 20 hands tall. That's like 80 inches. We're talking 80 inches. And that's, that's not to the top of their head. That's the top of their shoulder. That's like two of Pastor Dan. That's just their... <laughs> Sorry. 
kind of. These horses are huge, is what I'm trying to get across. Horses are huge. They're, they're meaty. They're muscly. They're full of strength. They can weigh like 2,000 pounds. More than that. And they have a mind of their own. Yet you can put a two-pound bit in the horse of a mouth and you can turn that whole animal any way you want it to go. You can direct it in the way you want it to go. Accomplish a great amount of work in a very short a period of time. What about ships? It's not hard to picture the wooden ships of old, right? That, that image we conjure up, masts and pulleys and ropes, these massive sails that catch the wind and it drives the ship forward, yet the small man in front of the helm has the ability to steer the ship in the way it should go due to a small rudder that is often unseen underneath the water. And what is interesting is anyone who has driven any boat knows once a boat or a ship is going in a certain direction, a course correction takes time, doesn't it? In fact, the bigger the ship, the longer it takes to correct. Likewise, it says in verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it makes great boasts. The tongue is small, but powerful. It is small, but powerful. Boasts can be powerful. Um, boasts, you can, you can positively sway the multitudes, but just as easily, boasts can be seen in a derogatory sense, right? Inflaming the masses. Like a forest, perhaps. A great forest. Acreage and acreage of trees covering a vast land, yet wiped out by a fire that started with a single spark. These are vivid examples that James gives us. And, and what he's saying is this, he's putting the power of the tongue on display for us. And this last example of the, of the fire really shows the devastating and destructive power of the tongue, which is where we shift into this idea of the perversity of the tongue, right? Verse 6, the tongue is also a fire. This is our heaviest verse here, okay? The tongue is also a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it, it is itself set on fire by hell. Here's where James uh, begins to get personal, being specific about the damage that can be done, right? So you talk about inflammatory language. James is trying to get their attention, saying, this is a big deal, guys. Look at this wording. The tongue is a world of evil, a world of evil. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It is itself set on fire by hell. I told you, this is not a pat-you-on-the-back passage. This is a heavy picture. He's communicating something really strong here, and you and I know that he isn't overstating it, is he? We have seen this play out. The tongue is powerful. It isn't that the tongue cannot produce goodness, because it can, and we'll see that shortly in verse 9, but rather it is terribly inconsistent, and because our tongue is willed by us, its propensity is evil. That world of evil phrase, it means iniquity. It means unrighteousness. Uh, most clearly, maybe, that which is hostile to God. That's what that means. It is the opposite of truthfulness and, and faithfulness and righteousness. You think James is making too big a deal of the tongue? You would be blind if you have not seen how the opposite of truthfulness, faithfulness, and righteousness is constantly destroying lives in our world right now. 
Essentially, this is what he's saying in verse 6. Words have absolute power to destroy absolutely. Whether it's your life or someone else's. Words have absolute power to destroy absolutely. In this last phrase in verse 6, James re- reveals the source of this unrighteousness, right? He says it's set on fire by hell it- itself. That's the picture of just burning rubbish that is associated with, with darkness and brokenness and, and sin. Where is it coming from? And what becomes clear here is that James is not referencing simply that fleshy part of us that lives inside of our mouths. He's talking about us, our hearts and our our minds, that intelligent and communicative mind that, that utilizes the tongue as its tool to either build up or destroy. That's what he's talking about. It's, we're not let off the hook like somehow our taste bud machine is just disconnected from the rest of us. No, our tongue is willed by our sinfulness. That's what he's saying. Our tongue is willed by our sinfulness. And really, this is, this is where the bad news sets in. Again, this is the heavy part of the passage. Um, and I think to better understand this, we can jump to Matthew 12. And in Matthew 12, you don't have to turn there, it's, it's brief, but in Matthew 12, Jesus is, is chastising the Pharisees because they had utterly rejected him and his teaching. He came to work in their lives and offer them forgiveness for sin and lead them in a better way. And they, they literally were speaking, we talk about speaking the name of Jesus, they were speaking denial of the work that he wanted to do in their lives. And so he looks right at them and he says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And he he condemns them because they've condemned themselves. And he reveals just where it comes from. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So naturally, we know above all things, this is Jeremiah 17, 9, our hearts are deceitful. Above all else, our hearts are deceitful. So this this is where our trouble with the tongue starts is our sinfulness, our flesh. And so if we stopped there, we might feel defeated (laughs) because he's painted a pretty bleak picture, hasn't he? But hope is coming, okay? Hope is coming. Uh, So hang with me through here. So verses 7 and 8, continuing this line of thinking of where the issue lies within our hearts, James moves into verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, Reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But notice verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Simply put, since the beginning of time, man uh, was given and has exercised dominion over animals, yet has failed to exercise dominion over his own tongue. The tongue is mastered by no man. The tongue is mastered by no man. Again, this bad news here, and it's echoed in Romans chapter 3, verses 9, 13, and 14. I'll read this for you. Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. And look how it describes this uh, non-existent righteousness left to ourselves. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues are practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. (laughs) Again, you're saying, Chuck, this is getting pretty heavy. None of this is good news. And you're right, but we never leave a Sunday morning without hearing the good news, do we? 
But these verses are smack dab in the middle of the Romans road. Did you notice that? Romans 3, what I just read, they're in the middle of the Romans road. What comes at the end of the Romans road? Salvation. God's gift to mankind through Jesus Christ, a changed life from brokenness to wholeness. So left to ourselves, we are broken. James is saying, we cannot tame the tongue, but God can. God can. Now, James doesn't speak about the Spirit here in particular, specifically, but we'll see from his imploring in these next verses, and then if we take counsel from the whole of Scripture, which is what we ought to do, the change that is available to a believer when we cannot master our own tongue comes because the Spirit of God lives in him. And that, that is where the change comes from, change that moves us off of ourselves and towards him. Okay? So in verse 9, that's what we in fact begin to see is our first glimmer of, of hope, really, in this passage. Um, just the first part of verse 9, and then it kind of goes back downhill. With, with the tongue, it says, verse 9, we praise our Lord and Father. That's good. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Although caked in more critique of speech, what is revealed here in verse 9 is that, yes, the tongue is capable of holiness. The tongue is capable of holiness, of righteousness, for with it we praise our Lord and Father. And so if this is true, if the tongue is capable of good and holy things, then we should be able to see the positive side of the examples that James gave earlier, right? So just as a bit can move a powerful horse in the way it should go, just as a rudder can steer a mighty ship in the right direction, our tongue can be a mighty force for the building up of God's kingdom. It can. Our tongue can be a mighty force for building up God's kingdom. And by the same logic, we can look at verse 6. And also know that the opposite of everything there is true. So if man's tongue can corrupt the whole body, set the whole course of life of one's life on fire, then one's tongue, controlled by God, can make one whole and complete, ablaze with holiness and fervor for the things of God. Now, we're getting ahead of ourselves into some application. But it's hard not to ask the obvious question there. If that's possible, how? How is that possible? How do I capitalize on the holy potential of the tongue rather than fall to its propensity towards evil? So while I've just spoken to it, we sang about it, uh, James gives us the answer, I think, or at least the direction that we ought to be looking if we look closely at his questions in these final verses. Okay, so let's look to these verses, 10 through 12, and then we'll finish our time with some uh, practical application here. Okay, so verse 10. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers this, and sisters, this should not be. Okay, I'm going to pause there. Um, this wasn't in my notes, but it's there, and so we can't just skate over it. With it, we, we praise our Lord and Father. And with our tongue, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. There is, a, there is a disconnect there that he's revealing. He's saying, this is, something is off here. This is unnatural. This isn't right. Every person 
has value in and of that they have been made in the likeness of God. And so when we disparage, when we use our words to, to, to tear down or to speak ill of someone else, whether it's behind their back or to their face, it is akin, is what he's saying here, it is akin to cursing God because that person represents God in their, in their image at least. That image is marred by sin, but they bear it nonetheless. How dare we look at a person who is made in our Creator's image and curse them? Just a side note. Got to find where I was. Oh, okay. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, speaking to believers, this should not be. Verse 11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, there it is again. He's emphasizing that he's talking to believers here. Can a fig tree bear olives or, can, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, this wording that he uses here, these examples, um, they may sound familiar to you. And they should if you're familiar with Jesus and his teachings. It is extremely similar to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. So in Matthew 7, verses 16, 17, and 18, um, there is a warning that Jesus is giving about false teachers. And he uses fruit trees as an example to identify them. And I think it's helpful for us to go down this road slightly, um, what Jesus is teaching, so that we can better understand what James is calling us to moving forward, okay? So in Matthew uh, 7, uh, verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Again, Jesus is talking about false teachers. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Sound familiar? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Je Jesus is saying, you want to know who the false teachers are. What fruit are they producing? In other words, what are they teaching? It, what fruit are they producing is not talking about, are they nice? Are they kind? Are they encouraging people? Are they like trying to love people well? That's not what fruit is here. Fruit is the teaching that he's talking about. What fruit are they producing? Are they teaching something that is consistent with the word of God? Or is it contrary to the word of God? If it's contrary, then they are a false teacher. So if a tree says, I'm a fig tree, but it's producing olives, it's not a fig tree. If a teacher says, I'm a proclaimer of truth, but their teaching is contrary to the word of God, they aren't a proclaimer of truth. And if they continue in it, moreover, they aren't a follower of Christ. Rocket science, I know. Yet the amount of people who are continually led astray by false teachers is astounding. Read your Bibles, please. Read your Bibles. You are equipped to read your Bibles and know what it says. Is the teacher, is the pastor, is the preacher, are they speaking God's word? Is it consistent or is it contradictory? I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole anymore today. But I think it's important to understand um, that passage from Jesus about false teachers. 
It's important to understand that. You can't have different fruits from the same tree. I think it's important to understand that so that we can, have, we can better understand the weight of what James is teaching and then what he's compelling us towards once the problem of the tongue is recognized in our lives, okay? So we've established the dangers and the challenges of the tongue for the believer, one that all of us in here can identify with, okay? For the, one, for the believer, the one who follows Jesus, whether you're a teacher or otherwise, now James is getting very specific here at the end. With it, we praise God and curse men. There's two different fruits from one tree. In verse 10, this is what he says, this should not be. And then at the end of verse 12, he says, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Or basically, this cannot be, is what he says. So should not be, then cannot be. Now, this shouldn't be too difficult to understand, but the progression of this wording, I think, helps us get at the deeper call to action that is just below the surface here in this passage. Okay, in order to do that, stick with me, we need to remember the greater context of this letter. So should not be to cannot be. The greater context of this letter is authentic faith. James is encouraging believers who are working out their faith. There is a growth curve here, right? There is a maturing of behavior. I once was this, but now I am this. I once did this, now I do this. Faith is not demonstrated by perfection. It is demonstrated by a working out of one's belief. So when the Holy Spirit reveals to you what should not be in your life, you need to quickly move to this cannot be in my life. For if it continues to be in my life, it reveals just exactly what is inside, and that is an unchanged heart. This is the whole point of James. It applies right here as well. If your faith is authentic, it will be proved out in the way that you live. Now, supernaturally, not naturally. This should not be. This cannot be. And so in this specific example, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is a strong passage from James. Essentially, if there is a lack of control on your tongue, be it out loud to a group, or a gossipy comment to the side, or loose fingers on a keyboard, or an argument with your spouse. Fill in whatever example is in your mind. Essentially, you are being double-minded and unstable. James chapter 1. But there is a path forward. That's the good news, okay? We're going to turn it now. That is the good news. There is a path forward. If it has been realized, this should not be. Repent and move forward. This cannot be. The tongue requires repentance. It just does. Again, James is really making the argument here that the, the, the trouble with the tongue is perhaps the biggest and most challenging uh, a fight that you are going to have as a believer. If you're able to perfect your tongue, you're perfect. And so, because that's not possible... The tongue requires repentance. We're going to have to repent and move forward, pressing on towards the maturity that he mentions in verse 2. The problem arises only when repentance is not realized. 
And then James 1.26, which I mentioned earlier, rings true. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. All right, you have made it thus far through this passage. We have, we have talked through all of that to understand what most of us probably understood about this passage before I ever even started talking, right? You read this passage once, and we understood what he was trying to say because it's a battle that we all face. The tongue is hard to control, right? One of the hardest things to control in your life is what you say. It has the power to build up or destroy. We know which way it leans, and so we have to be diligent as we guard our hearts. And full mastery over the tongue will only come It will only come as we submit ourselves to the Spirit's leading. For though man cannot contain the tongue, God can. God can. So if you'll allow me, in the few minutes we have left, I want to offer you a few ways that we can continue fighting this worthy battle. It is a battle. So how do we press on towards maturity aiming to keep ourselves in check, as we see in verse 2. James has laid out the problem. What do we do moving forward? This is where I believe the principles that we find in Proverbs can be very, very helpful for us. Okay, so I'll draw your attention to a pair of Proverbs. We'll take each of them in turn, and then we'll mark out some next steps, and we'll close our time together. So Proverbs 12, this is the first one. Proverbs 12, 17, and 18. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. Second part, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So as is common in in Proverbs, we have a, a pair of two contrasting statements here, right? And it's helpful to see that because it gives implications of both godly living and worldly living. That's, that's the picture that's presented. And so we're going we're gonna to take each of these. There's two principles that I, that I see here. First one, bear witness to the truth. What do we do in recognizing the difficulty of the tongue, the challenge of the tongue? What ought we to be doing? Number one, bear witness to the truth. He who speaks truth declares righteousness, it says, but a false witness, deceit. So what are you to be a witness of as a believer? What are you to be a witness of? Not false things, but true things, right? The truth declares righteousness, it says. Righteousness, the things of God, that's what it means, the things of God. What is more true than God himself? What is more true than God himself? So what ought I to be bearing witness to? How about who God is and all that he has done? That's the truth that you can bear witness to. In other words, praise God. Praise God. Bear witness to the truth by praising God. Worship him. That's, that's what, what was the one positive thing that James mentioned in our passage today about the tongue? What was the one positive thing that he mentioned? It was praising God, wasn't it? Praising the Lord and Father. With it, we praise God. And he, and he, and he juxtaposes that with, with cursing men. I don't think that that's James just giving a throwaway example. He's like, ah, here's a good thing contrasted with the bad thing. That'll help him understand. No, he's holding up the ideal the thing you ought to be doing with your mouth, what our tongue was made for, that's praising God. That's what he created our tongue to do, to worship him, to praise him. It's that Greek word eulogeo. That's where that comes from. It's It's where we get the English word eulogy. It means to speak well of, to praise, to extol, to bless abundantly, to invoke a benediction, to give thanks. 
So it, how do we control our tongue? We start by praising God. Just bear witness to the truth. Add that to your priority list. Add a habit versus trying to get rid of one. Number two, promote health in the body. So from the second part of the proverb here, there's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So I think, again, back to James' example here. The tongue is small but mighty. And, you, and will you use it in a way that builds up rather than tears down? Again, this is not anything new to you. We all know this, but it's something we ought to be reminded of. Are you going to build up with your words or tear down? Are you using the majority of your words? We're talking about taking inventory here. Are the majority of your words used to edify and to encourage others, or do you use more of your words to negatively point out issues that may be out there? Can you take inventory? That's, a, that's homework for the week. Just step back and take inventory of the things you say, or maybe even think out loud. Now, promoting health does include accountability. There is a time for that. Accountability and discipline, they don't always feel good, okay? That is necessary. But what I'm saying is, and I'll use a balloon to represent a person, right? Are you looking for ways to fill a balloon that is less robust than maybe it should be? Or are you looking for ways to pop a balloon with your sword because it's lacking? You understand the difference? That balloon may be lacking, for whatever reason, be it sin or something else, are you going to fill it or pop it? Use your sword to attack the enemy, not to swipe at your brother or sister in Christ. So bear witness by praising God, promote health in the body. Let's read the next proverb. We'll finish here. Proverbs 15, 1 through 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Again, two cost contrasting statements showing us the way we should go. Let's look at the first one. Soft answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. Principle number three, respond, don't react. With your mouth, respond, don't react. Um, not reacting means you're going to have to be slow to speak. Sound familiar? James, again, slow to speak. Soft answers require slowness. We don't do anything slow. We are reactionary by nature, but we live by the Spirit now, and so we must be slow to speak as we engage with others, especially in disagreements. A wise man once said, an accusation hardens the heart, but a question pricks the conscience. I see that in here. A soft answer turns away wrath. An accusation hardens the heart, but a question pricks the conscience. So you actually care about the relationship, your growth and others. Look to actually what will resolve the issue, not incite further argument. Don't get caught up arguing about the argument. Okay, and I will openly admit to you, this is the hardest one for me. It is easier said than done. This is the one I struggle with the most, is responding instead of reacting. Okay, lastly, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. What a picture. Number four, exercise wisdom, not foolishness. Exercise wisdom, not foolishness. If you need uh, more of a, a, a bit on wisdom, go back to the very first message in James that Dan preached on wisdom. Okay? Exercise wisdom, not foolishness. If I'm being honest, this is the, I struggle a lot with the last one. If I'm being honest, this is the principle I see believers break a lot. 
this lack of wisdom, okay? And it starts with face and it ends with book. I don't hate Facebook. I hate how people use Facebook. Okay? Notice the emphasis in this proverb on using knowledge rightly. Did you see that? Using it rightly, indicating you can use knowledge unrightly. Okay? You can have knowledge. You can know the truth. You can, you can know the truth about what is going on. You can know the truth about what is happening in our world, but you can still use it wrongly. What you are putting on display for all to see, are you exercising wisdom? Essentially, are you applying, are you applying the prior three principles? That's what this really means, applying wisdom. Are, are you giving God, is it, is it giving God glory? Is it promoting health? And is it a thoughtful response? That's exercising wisdom. Or is it pouring forth foolishness as we entrench ourselves deeper into our side of the culture war that's already been lost? Okay, brothers and sisters, James says that a lot. We have got to be careful with what we post on Facebook. We can ruin our witness. Brother Travis prayed about this this morning. He had no idea we were going to talk about this. He prayed this in our time together. We, we can ruin our witness with the things that we like, post, or share. Now, I am not saying, again, that what is true isn't important to shed light on. On the contrary, it absolutely is. What I'm saying is if all we do is look for false things in culture to condemn rather than celebrate the things of God that are happening that are true, we're doing it wrong. That's what I'm saying, okay? Let our feeds be full of testimonies of God's work in our church or a proclamation of the good news or how God is specifically at work in your life. Can that be what, it, what is pouring forth from believers? Not all the things we're against, but all the things that we're for? What, it, what God is actually doing? That is a way to use our words to exercise wisdom and not foolishness. All right, I'm going to invite the team to come join me on the platform. We're going to close with a song, uh, Come Thou Fount, good old hymn, that declares the truth of all of this, asking God to, to move us forward, to tune our hearts, to sing His grace. But here's where I want us uh, to end. Um, I just laid out some things that we ought to do. Rather, I just revealed to you what Scripture says. Okay, so Scripture laid out for us things we ought to be doing, the work that we need to put into this, right? But I also talked just before that about submitting to the Holy Spirit as He will have to do the work in you, as He will have to change. Well, which, which is it, right? Because remember, no man can tame the tongue. Only God can, right? So which is it? I, Submitting to the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you go limp and hope that he floats you around, forcing you to do all the things that you are lacking. No, submitting to the Holy Spirit means walking in obedience to what he's already revealed to us in his word. That's, that's what it means. It means placing ourselves, submission, placing ourselves underneath the mission. Of, of so this is the mission. We, we submit to it. We walk in obedience. And then he creates the change in heart as we walk in obedience. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit, to submit to him. The more you submit, the more you will find yourself compelled and enabled to live by him, to live a holy life. James is calling us to holiness. We do that by the power of the Spirit. How we live by the power of the Spirit is to submit ourselves to the mission and walk in obedience. That's what it means. It's remarkable, really, as you live that out. 
as you walk in obedience, you will find that the Spirit will begin to uh, compel you even more so in obedience and enable you even more so in obedience. It's remarkable, really. It's remarkable. And here's what I want to do to end our time. We did this in first service as well. I, I know that there are some of you here, many of you here that could testify to this. So this is what I want to do. If you would testify that it was God who tamed your tongue and not yourself, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you would testify that it was God who tamed your tongue and not you, I would ask you to stand. Ooh, that's a lot of people. Still working on it, aren't we? But here's what I'll say, Mike. I love being a part of a church that would testify to the work that God is doing amongst us. This is what Dan talked about earlier. It is a community of believers who are living in the already not yet. Living in the already not yet, but God is at work amongst this people. He is. For some of you, it was over a season of submission. Um, or, or some of you, it was like that, that God divinely touched you in a supernatural way and overnight your, your speech changed. And you are standing here giving witness to the truth of the work, of, of God's work, God's spirit in your life. It's powerful. It's powerful stuff. I want the rest of us to stand. Um, we're going to pray. We're going to prepare our hearts to sing this last song. Ask God to continue to do his work in us. Lord Jesus, you are so, so good. You are, you are our only hope. You are our Savior, our Messiah. Jesus, your spirit is our advocate. He is our helper. He regenerated us from death to life. And now he's sanctifying us day by day. We are being renewed. So Lord, we're going to give, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you the glory for that. We're testifying to your work in our lives that it wasn't us. It was you, but we, but we want to partner with you in that. So God, we're asking that you continually by your spirit, tune our hearts, Lord, to sing your grace. We need your mercy. We need your leading. All of this is for you, for your glory, and that others may come to know you. So Lord, we surrender to you our tongue. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.